As Joseph trudged on the hill that would lead to Mary's house, he started thinking. He knew now that in Jerusalem, sophisticated people looked down on the Nazarenes, the countrified Nazarenes, and called them yokels with a ridiculous northern accent. Travelers whose broken wheels he mended told how in the stadium shows of the capital, comedians often imitated the rude ways and provincial dialect of the Nazarenes, and that favorite jest on the Jerusalem streets was the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But Joseph, with all his fellow townsmen, felt that the people of Jerusalem were unnatural and over-civilized. Anyway, he was proud of his hometown and expected to be very happy there with Mary and children and work. What more could any man ask? A psalm of David came to his lips as he marched on through the crowd. Everywhere around him were noisy people, enveloped in their own errands. Once he passed by a knot of excitable citizens surrounding two old rabbis, all talking at once. For a hasty moment, Joseph's lighted lantern lit up their beards and caps. Men and women and children are all in a clamor about their own affairs. But their numbers grew less as Joseph trudged on and the streets thinned and the crowds fell behind. Just ahead of him was a lane and at its turning was the house of Jehoiakim and Anna, the white dome ghost-like in the dusk. At one side of it ran a staircase that led to the roof, and looking up there, Joseph saw Mary, his Mary, so beautiful, so lively. She had a lantern in her hand, and she was bending over, collecting dates and figs that had been spread out to dry in the hot sun. Knowing his footsteps, she straightened up and waved her hand. Then Joseph passed into the house with the freedom of one who feels himself already a member of the family. Anna was busy over an earthen pot filled with live coals. She would spread the outside with freshly kneaded dough and the heat would bake it into bread. Jehoiakim strode forward, and the two men bowed ceremoniously, and the younger man kissed the father's beard. Welcome the more for coming early, said Jehoiakim heartily. Joseph seated himself beside the older man and plunged at once into his business. He told his future father-in-law how much he had saved his money, how he had improved the living quarters behind the house, and he was ready to buy a goat and hens and a rooster. And he wanted his wife. He wanted to get married. He wanted to marry Mary. Why should there be any delay? Who makes delays? demanded Jehoiakim. The carpenter glanced uneasily at Anna. 
No, Joseph, said Mary's mother, looking over her shoulder as she patted the door. I will not stand in your way. I know now that you love Mary and that she loves you. There is really no sense in waiting. I am forced to agree with you about that. It will be better so. Have you fixed a date in your mind to get married? I wanted to marry her yesterday, jested Joseph, as they all laughed. But no, I have not fixed any date. I want to talk with Mary after supper tonight. I would like it better that way. To this, Jehoiakim made no comment, but his glance was a little puzzled. In his married life, he made all the decisions. At least Anna had succeeded in making him believe so. Later, after dinner, in the damp darkness of the Nazareth road, Joseph and Mary strolled and talked. They were full of their plans and felt a little awed by them. Completely occupied with a dozen small and enchanting details about their wedding, they were oppressed that soft evening with no foreboding. The clover-laden night winds carried no warning of what was in the air. And once, when the pair stood silent together and looked up at the lean and golden scimitar of the new moon and the hiving glittering stars, and all earth seemed hushed for them to listen, they did not hear the faintest rustle of a wing. Minds and hearts filled only with their personal plans. It was late when they were ready to say goodnight, but they had come to a decision. Within three months, they would be married. Joseph would have liked it earlier, but Mary pointed out that there was still sewing to do and a few more shekels her father wanted to accumulate. She knew to fill out her modest dowry. Three months would not seem long now that the date was fixed. I hope I see you early tomorrow, said Joseph, when it was time for him to go home. Very early, Joseph, when I go to the well for the morning water, she promised. Their hands clasped and they parted. Joseph strode off bravely to his carpenter shop. He flung himself down on his pallet with a happy sigh and buried his head in his arms and thought how lucky he was among Nazarene men, how happy he was and how much happier he was going to be. Soon he fell asleep. Sleeping, he dreamed only of the slight, inconsequential phantasmagoria that all men dream of. Mary's blue mantle blowing in the clover-laden wind and Mary's dream-laden eyes. No grand dreams such as his ancestors, the prophets, had known in olden days. No foreseeing of what was on the way, marching in a mighty silence toward the earth. And no more than Joseph did Herod the Great and his kingdom of Judea with him, nor Caesar Augustus in his Roman palace dream that night that the world was about to roll another way. None even to feel one cosmic hint that near at hand was a social and moral revolution coming without harp or symbols 
but in the deep soundlessness and quiet of the night. Early the next morning, Joseph awoke to know that something had gone amiss. He heard a loud pounding on the door and his name being shouted. This was unusual. As he opened his sleepy eyes, he beheld Jehoiakim standing, pale and distraught, his hands uplifted. Peace be unto you, Jehoiakim, Joseph muttered, embracing him. What is it? Tell me. What is wrong? He could tell by the look in his future father-in-law's eyes that something is gravely, seriously wrong. The Lord be with you, Joseph, groaned the father, laying a heavy hand on Joseph's shoulder. Listen, my son, Mary has disappeared. Mary has run away and we don't know where she is.